0: You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Uh, Last year, uh, my daughter Tessa started driving. Cringe, right? Now, we've been through this twice before. Her older siblings have been driving for a, a while now, and uh, you know one of the things that we notice with her older siblings, Tessa can't drive on her own yet, right? She has her permit, she's just learning, but one of the things we, we found with the older siblings is when they started to drive on their own, uh, we needed to uh, let them know when to be home, right? We needed to give them a curfew, uh, when to be back at night, When they were out driving the car. And, you know, so what we realized and, uh, you know, is that they would stay as long as they could, uh, before leaving wherever they were to get back to meet the curfew. I, I call this just a little bit longer syndrome. Okay. Just a little bit longer. Okay. We're getting close to the time of the curfew. Okay. Just a few more minutes. Just a little bit longer. And so with this app that we use for their phones, we found that they were speeding home. Uh, they were probably driving a little bit too aggressively as well because they would just wait as long as they could and then get in the car and rush home, right? And so what we're going to do with Tessa uh, when she starts driving on her own is we are not going to tell her what time to be home. We're going to tell her what time to leave for home. Now, that will probably help her a little bit better. So, you know, um, for, for a lot of us, it, it's been a while since we've had a curfew, right? Uh, but there's something similar that influences us. And, you know, it, unless you're a very unusual driver, we all pretty much drive at the speed limit or a little bit more than the speed limit. While most of us don't feel guilty driving faster than the speed limit, we just don't want to get caught. Right? We're gonna go as fast as we can that's gonna allow us to break the, break the law, but not, uh, but not be, um, actually, uh, uh, encountering the law, right? We don't want the policeman to, to pull us over. And my point, well, my point is, whether it's a curfew, whether it's driving, whether it's one more sleeve of cookies, whether it's one more pair of shoes, whether it's one more drink, Our natural inclination is to live as close to the line as possible, isn't it? So which line are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about the line between legal and illegal, between responsible and irresponsible, between moral and immoral, between ethical and unethical. And it's just human nature. It's human nature to cozy up to the edge of of irresponsibility, disaster, or embarrassment, and stay there as long as possible. It's human nature to go as far as we can go without becoming the worst version of ourselves, without being embarrassed or expelled, fired, getting someone pregnant, or getting kicked out of the house. And there's this, and here's the thing, What's behind this flirtation with disaster is a flawed assumption, an assumption that hurts our ability to make good decisions. And this assumption is why I think we are so comfortable living, dating, spending, eating, drinking, and driving on the edge of embarrassment or even worse. Here's the assumption that I'm talking about. If it's not wrong, well, then it's all right. If it's not illegal, well, then it's allowed. If it's not immoral, well, then it's acceptable. If it's not over the line, then it's fine. Now, the problem with this way of thinking might not be apparent at first, but if you are a parent or an older brother or sister, you understand the problem with this way of thinking. I bet you don't set the bar that low for your children. I bet you don't set the bar that low for anybody that you care deeply about. To embrace this way of thinking is basically to organize your life around or organize the lives of uh, your children around the lowest common denominator. Essentially, we're asking, how low can I go? How close to bad can I get without, without, without actually being bad? How close to wrong can I be without actually doing wrong? If you're a Christian, how close to sin can I get without actually sinning? But it doesn't stop there, does it? Before long, we're asking how far over the line can I go without getting caught or experiencing any of the consequences that might go with it. Now, the, we ask, we also ask how unethical, how immoral, how insensitive can I be, maybe, uh, without losing clients, without losing loved ones or risking jail? or large fines? How long can I neglect my family, or my finances, or my health without feeling the effects? How much can I indulge my addictive behavior without actually becoming addicted? It's a slippery, dangerous slope, and it all begins by asking the wrong question, what is wrong with that? And that question is typically fo- followed by a second question, which is, how did I get myself into this? How did I get myself into this broken relationship? This guy is such a jerk. How did I get myself into this credit card debt? How did I get myself into this addiction? So <clears throat> now what we're, what we're talking about is setting our moral and ethical standards on the borderline right between right and wrong between legal and illegal between healthy and unhealthy it means that we don't have a lot of margin do we it's a very dangerous way to live so here's the thing i haven't you know i haven't told you anything that you don't already know we already know this and it's why we respond the way we do when someone we love starts cozying up to the edge of that line we don't react the to what they're doing, do we? We react to where they're heading. We react to where they're heading. And so in these moments, we just know intuitively that the question isn't, is there anything wrong with what they're doing? Is Is there anything illegal or immoral about what they're doing? We know intuitively that there is a better question to ask, to be asked, a question that, if asked, would ensure a better decision. And the truth is, if you'll get into the habit of asking this better question, you will avoid regret as well. And that question, that question is the next question that we're going to talk about today in our series called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. So throughout this series, let me just summarize a little bit for you where we've been. Uh, We've been looking at the relationship between good questions and good decisions, right? Um, Good questions actually set us up for good decisions. And I think that it's, you can argue that your decisions are only as good as the questions that you ask. And, you know, I'm absolutely convinced that if you will act on your answer to these questions, right, if you ask the questions, if you act on your answers to these questions, if you answer honestly to this question and these questions, you will make better decisions and consequently you will have fewer regrets. Who of all of us wouldn't want fewer regrets, right? Your life would be better. The life of lives of the people that depend on you, who look up to you, would be better, right? Because we aren't only the people that are impacted by our decisions, are we? We aren't only the people that are impacted by our regrets either. Previously in this series, the first question that we looked at, it's called the uh, integrity question. Am I being honest with myself, really? The easiest person to deceive in your life is the person that you wake up to in the mirror every morning. That's what what we're talking about. And as long as you're lying to yourself, you will never get to where you wanna be. The next question is the legacy question. The legacy question is, what story do I wanna tell? When the decision you're in the process of making right now, whether it's relational, financial, academic, professional, whatever it is, is nothing more than a story that you tell. What story do you want to tell? And the good news is that you get to decide, you get to write the story of your life, one decision at a time. So that's the legacy question. Now, the last time we were together, Pastor Jeremy explored the conscience question. And here's the conscience question. Is there attention that deserves my attention? Is there a tension that deserves my attention? When everything looks good on paper, when all the heads are nodding around you about this decision that says, go with this decision, but there's something in your gut that just doesn't feel quite right, and you can't put your finger on it, well, you want to pause and you want to pay attention to that tension. And so that brings us to our last, uh, to our next question, the maturity question. The reason it's called the maturity question is because asking this question requires and is evidence of, I think, maturity. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12, it says, The prudent see danger and take refuge prudent people or wise people. They embrace the reality that one thing leads to another, and they decide to live their lives accordingly. The unwise, the immature, the naive the proverb says, the simple, they keep going. And what happens is they pay the penalty, right? Or they pay the price. So our maturity question is, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? When making a decision of any consequence, I want you to pause and ask, what is the wise thing for me to do? What is the wise thing for you to do? The option you're considering may be legal It may be acceptable, it may be permissible, it may be in line with industry standards, and not exactly immoral, but is it wise? Now here's something mature people understand. A decision or an option you're exploring might not be wrong, but it can be unwise at the same time. Let me explain this a little bit. Isn't it true, and I hate to bring this up, but isn't it true that your greatest regret, the moment of your greatest regret that you, that you can think about in your life, wouldn't you give almost anything to go back to that moment and undo it? Wouldn't you give anything to go back to that moment and have a redo in that part of your life? But isn't it true that that moment that you regret is preceded by several unwise decisions that you made leading up to that moment? They weren't wrong. They weren't illegal. They weren't necessarily immoral. But looking back they were terribly, terribly unwise. And that series of unwise decisions paved the way, think about it, paved the way to the moment in time that you've regretted ever since. So to avoid the just a little bit longer syndrome, to avoid regret, ask of every opportunity of every option that comes your way, what is the wise thing for me to do? Now, the Apostle Paul spells this out in his letter to the Ephesians, um, the Christians in Ephesus, uh, in, in the Bible. And Paul goes right to the heart of this tension that we all live with. And uh, and, and really, that all of us, I believe, wrestle with every single day. And so we're going to look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, and 16. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, it says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So while a lot has improved since the first century, human nature definitely has not, right? Ancient folks and modern folks are equally prone to live carelessly and unwisely, to cozy up to the edge of disaster and to pretty much stay there as long as possible. And the Apostle Paul comes along to the people in his day, to the Christians in his day, and to the Christians in our day as well, and he says, stop doing that. I want you to be careful with how you live. Don't be careless. This is the lens through which we need to evaluate every invitation and every opportunity that comes our way. Financial, relational, Professional, academic, whatever it is. So back to our question: What is the wise thing for you to do? Paul says we, we answer that question by making the most of every opportunity. Literally in the Greek, this means to redeem the time, and we get our word "opportunity" in English from uh, from this this word in in Greek, and and so. <clears throat> Don't wish that you could go back and redeem all those bad decisions. You want to try to move forward, okay? And and so even though we want to have a do-over, we want to move forward. But um, as we think about our past and we think about the regrets, you know, for some of us, there are, you know, we might have a few weeks or a few weekends that regret scattered in our past. But for some of us, it might be an entire season of our life. Either way, imagine having the opportunity to relive those days, right? Those weeks, even years. And I mean, what if you had the opportunity to go back and invest your time in more productive, healthy, life-giving activities? Imagine where you'd be today. Imagine what you'd be today. Now, I know it's hard, but as painful as it is to look back, it's necessary, I think, to in order to appreciate the invitation embedded in the Apostle Paul's words, because here's what he's doing. Paul is inviting you, he's inviting us, to invest our time wisely from this moment forward, from this day forward. You're invited to make the most of the time that you have, to invest your time in a way that actually propels you forward toward a preferred future honoring the Lord. Now, Paul finishes this passage, if you look in verse 16, with a, a really kind of strange type of warning. Let's look at it together. It says, um, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Evil days. What is he talking about? Well, I think you know what he's talking about. You know that we don't live in a morally or ethically neutral culture, do we? Uh, I mean, think about it. When was the last time you heard, saw, or read an ad that told you to be careful, to be wise, and to be self-controlled? I haven't. When was the last time the sales associate said, as you're trying to make that decision about the new car, go home, think it over, and then let me know? So Paul's point is this. We aren't going to get much help from the culture. We might have some wise friends that are around us that are going to help us out, but that's not going to come from the culture. The gravitational pull of the culture is what? It's now, not later. It's more, not less. This is why the maturity question might be the most important question that you ask yourself, okay? You know, my family and I, we love to, uh, go in the summer to visit relatives in Gloucester, Massachusetts. And, uh, we like to go to the beach. So we kind of go later in the summer, uh, when it's warmer. You know about New England that if you go to the beaches there, even in the summer, they're a little bit chilly. So we try to go to the end of the summer, like around August. And, uh, we like, and we like to swim in the ocean there. If, you've, if you swim in the ocean, you know that everywhere you go in the ocean, there's some type of undertow. Well, in, in Gloucester, there is an undertow that's not not really that dangerous, but it will pull you down the beach, right? And so, what we need, it, we, what we need really, is a point of reference on the land, and that point of reference is the wind turbine that is behind the beach in Gloucester. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. You can't miss them. And so, by having that point of reference. As the undertow pulls us down the beach, we can look at the wind turbine and know where we need to swim to get back to where we put our towels. And like the undertow that we experience in Gloucester, culture has a way of slowly and subtly edging us beyond healthy moral, ethical, financial, and professional limits. Without a stationary point of reference, it is impossible to know where you are where you aren't, or where you ought to be. So I'd like to suggest this morning with you that we establish three points of reference that will help you to answer the maturity question. In light of my past experience, in light of my present situation, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? In light of my past experience, present situation, and future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing For me to do. Poet and philosopher George Santiana said, those who can't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Have you ever heard that? Maybe you don't know who the author was, but that's a pretty popular phrase. The point being is this, our past predisposes us to specific temptations, addictions, and blind spots. Temptations, addictions, and blind spots that might not be there for other people, but that they're there for you. Okay. So in light of your past experience, in light of your personal past experience, what is the wise thing for you to do? Every decision, every invitation, every opportunity that comes your way needs to be filtered through this question. You know, early on in my ministry and in my marriage, uh, I lived in Montreal and I was a workaholic. I worked crazy hours. I didn't care about getting home for dinner on time and Uh, it got really bad. And this one night I came home and I was late again for dinner. And uh, I remember my wife, Virginia, confronting me and me getting mad. And she said to me that night, and I'll never forget, she said to me, uh, she confronted me and she said, you know what, if we don't go to counseling, this marriage isn't going to last. Now, thanks to her tough love and thanks to the counseling, where I was able to explore things in my past experience and and in my childhood, God helped me to avert disaster, right? I got to the edge, but he kept me from falling off the edge. And one of the things uh, about that is, you know, I could have decided not to go to counseling. And... You know, that if I decided not to go to counseling, that wouldn't have been wrong. But I'll tell you what, it would have been unwise for my marriage. The reason I'm probably even still married to Virginia today is because I made the wise decision to go to counseling in that moment. So what about you? In light of your past experience, what's the wise thing for you to do? Financially, professionally, relationally, academically. Where are you set up to fail because of something in your past? Perhaps something that you had no control over. In light of your past experience, what is the wise thing? Not get the get-by thing or what everybody else is doing thing, but what is the wise thing for you to do? In light of my past experience, what is the wise thing? So the second point of reference now that we've talked about our past experience, is in light of my present situation, what is the wise thing? Listen, you owe it to yourself and the people around you to take your present emotions, your present state of mind, into account when you're making a decision. Most of my apologies stem from my propensity to react in the moment to the moment. Okay, when I wait, my responses are better. When I wait, my, response, my responses are kinder. When I wait, my responses are more accurate. When I get mad, I don't do anything at all. <laughs> okay. So when asking the maturity question, we would do well to take into account what's going on now in light of our present situation, in light of our current state of mind. What's the wise thing for you to do? Did you just get out of a relationship? would it be wrong to jump back into another one? No. But in light of your recent circumstances and the emotions trailing along behind, is it wise for you to do that? Remember, your greatest regrets, and I'm talking about usually our greatest relational regrets, our greatest regrets are almost always preceded by a series of unwise decisions. Jumping back into the dating game after you've just broken up or or just been divorced, right, is usually a gateway decision it leads to regret. So in light of your present situation, what is the wise thing to do? And that brings us to our third and final point of reference. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? What is the wise thing for me to do? Do you know what breaks my heart? What breaks my heart is watching people make decisions that undermine their own future, that undermine their own future hopes and dreams. It breaks my heart when I see individuals or couples make relationships decisions that are gonna undermine their relationship. It breaks my heart when I see teenagers make decisions that are gonna trail behind them probably for 10 or 20 years in their future. It breaks my heart when I see couples that are driving a wedge in between them and their children Okay? It breaks my heart to see people engineering their own destruction in life, their own unhappiness. And perhaps that's why I'm convinced that this third point of reference in response to our fourth question is probably the most important point of reference that we have. In light of our future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for you to do? Chances are you have some idea of what you want your future to look like, right? Maybe you're the type of person that has already written it down and has a specific plan. Or maybe your plan is not that specific, but you have a general direction, a general idea of where you want to be. I'll tell you what, none of us want to head into the future and be at a place eventually all alone. Nobody wants to be alone. But here's the challenge. When it comes to dreams, when it comes to your dream, the deck is stacked against you. Life stacks the deck against your dreams. There's a strong headwind that pushes hard against your dreams. And if you're not careful, your decisions could prevent you from achieving The preferred future that you want. Nobody plans, listen, nobody plans to undermine their own future. They just don't plan not to. But asking the wisdom question and acting on the wisdom question, that's how you plan not to. In light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for you to do? Asking that question with the future in mind brings, well, it brings clarity, to whatever option that you're considering. It acts like a spotlight and all the deceptive shades of gray disappear and our best options become clear. They become painfully clear, so clear that a lot of us want to just look away. You might say, hey, I'm not hurting anybody. I can handle it. There's no law against it. God will forgive me. While that may be true, just because you aren't doing anything wrong yet or because it isn't illegal, so what? It's all beside the point. The purpose of the maturity question isn't to stop you from doing something wrong. It's to keep you from doing something unwise. Again, unwise is the gateway. It's the gateway to regret. It paves the way, in some cases, to a point of no return. So let me ask you, would you be willing to put away your old, worn-out excuses once and for all? Because, listen... They have never served you well. They have never served me well. They just silence your conscience. They cloud your reasoning. And ultimately, they will diminish your ability to hear the voices of wisdom around you. Our excuses, you know what they do? They lead us to a place of regret. And once they get us there, do you know what your excuses do? They abandon you there. I don't want you to ever go there again to that place. And by God's grace, you can decide to be done with all of that, done with your excuses. So instead of making excuses, dream and plan your way forward. Ask yourself, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? In light of where I want to be financially, five, ten years from now, where? what is the wise thing for me to do now? You're going to be somewhere in five to ten years. Why not plan for it now financially? You know what? If you don't decide where you want to be financially in five or 10 years, you know who's going to decide for you? Retailers and lenders who care nothing about you. They're going to decide for you. And what's true financially is true relationally. It's true academically and professionally as well. So where do you want to be? If you're single, in light of what you ultimately want relationally, even romantically, what is the wisest way to handle your relationships right now? What are you doing now? Think about it. What are you doing now that has the potential to rob you of your preferred future? Relationally. And it's a hard question to answer. Honestly, which, you know, it takes us back to that first question that we asked a few weeks ago in this series, which is, are you honest with yourself? Are you being honest with yourself? Really? Really? Are your current relationships paving the way for the preferred future that you want to have? Or are they escorting you to a place that you never want to go? A place you swore that you would never go to? So in light of what you want later, what is the wise thing for you now? If you're married and you're planning to be together until death do us part, and you're planning on enjoying your grandchildren together, what can you do right now to facilitate that dream? What or who puts that dream at risk? What is the wise thing to do as it relates to protecting your marriage? Do you have, have children? Do you envision a future for your children? What do you envision in terms of the relationship that you want to have with your children in the future? If you want to have a future with your children, if you want your children to want to spend time with you and, and, and to enjoy life with you, well, what's the wise thing now to protect that dream? So here's the thing, and you know this everybody ends up somewhere in life. But I want you to decide to live and to end up somewhere on purpose. And to do that, wisdom paves the way. So, speaking of the future, you know, as I lead the redemption student ministry, one of the things we're doing this week with our curriculum is we are actually teaching the teens how to live in a way that's wise, how to live with wisdom and ask this question in their life so that they can win. At life, We are preparing the next generation to win at life. And, and I'm, I'm super excited about that. Not only to talk about that question with them, but to talk about that question with you today. So don't settle for good. Don't settle for legal, permissible, acceptable, or even tolerable. If you do, you'll eventually find yourself living dangerously close to regret. And I want you to know that you're better than that, that you deserve better than that, and that you owe yourself and the loved ones in your life better than that. Now, if you really have a hard time not knowing how to answer the wisdom question, let's remember what God says in the book of James. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask him. You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you're struggling with answering the question, God promises that he will tell you what you should do, right? He will give you that wisdom. So one last time, in light of your past experience, your present situation, and in light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for you to do? Now, before we head out today, I want to ask you to just ask that question. What is the wise thing for me to do over these next seven days? Just ask it, okay? Not maybe act on it. Just ask it. To ask the question, what is the wise thing for me to do over the next seven days, with whatever major decision that you have in front of you. Would you do that? Would you commit to God to do that this week? So let's remember to walk wisely in life. And if we do, we will be able to make better decisions and we certainly will live with less regret. So would you pray with me today? God, we come before you. We don't want to live with regret. We think about our past and we, we think about all the moments of regret that we've had where we'd love a redo. We would love a do-over. God, help us to ask this question with the decisions, the opportunities, the invitations that we have so that our future could be better, so that the future of those that love us can be better. And God, if we don't know what wisdom What wisdom, we don't know how to answer the wisdom question. I pray that you, as you say in James, that you would provide the wisdom that we need, that you would show us, because we know that it is always a yes to the things that you promise. So God, we pray and lift this up to you, praying that our lives would move forward in a way that's a lot wiser. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.